if you go to trial, it is you're putting a decision that you might be able to make with your spouse or the other parent in the hands of 12 people who you've never met. And again, I've generally found those decisions to be very good, probably better than judge decisions on on average. But your case isn't an average, right? It's your particular case. And those are the things that you should, I think, really consider. That applies to a lot of litigation, but probably even more so to a jury trial. Your hosts have earned a reputation as fierce and effective advocates inside and outside of the courtroom. Both partners are experienced trial attorneys who have been board certified in family law by the Texas Board of Legal Specialization. Thanks for tuning into For Better, Worse, or Divorce podcast, where we provide you tips and insights on how to navigate divorce and child custody situations. I'm Brian Walters, one of the managing partners of Walters Gilbreth PLLC. I'm here with our other managing partner, Jake Gilbreth. And today, for our third and final episode in our jury trial series, we will be discussing some closing topics in family law cases that go to jury trial and talk through things we often do with our clients to prepare for that jury trial. So, Maybe you can start, Jake, with talking about preparation. Yeah. So and we had talked last episode or a couple of episodes ago, I can't remember about, you know, picking the jury. Remember, it's not pick the jury. You're actually deselecting the jury. And we talked through the strategy and everything last time. But just as a reminder, that's going to be the Bordier process that happens before the jury's impaneled. So really, when you're preparing for a jury trial, it's really sort of two sets of preparation, really three when you think about it, because first is your pre-trial with the judge. Now, bench trials, depending on what county you're in, bench trials often have, when bench trial, remember, that's just going to a judge. Those often still have pre-trials, particularly for more complex cases where a judge wants to meet before the trial starts, go through any preliminary matters, stuff like that. Some counties require that, some counties don't, some judges like that, some don't, just sort of depends. But a jury trial, it almost every situation, you're going to have pre-trial where you deal with motions and limine, which are just briefly are matters which the court on a preliminary ruling is going to say that these don't get heard by the jury without you first approaching to the judge and getting permission or arguing why it's admissible or not. Idea being, if there's something that we think that there's a good chance that it's not going to come into evidence, the judge doesn't want you just spitting it out. And that's why you have limiting. So, for example, if there's a really really kind of crucial hearsay statement, say from a child or a therapist or something like that. You know, if you're the one objecting to the hearsay statement that you know is coming, it doesn't do much good in front of a jury if hearsay statement gets testified to and then you stand up and you go, hey, that was that was hearsay. Y'all shouldn't have heard that. And the judge will say, yeah, that was hearsay. Y'all disregard that. And then the jury's still going to have it in their mind. So that's lemonies. You kind of get ahead of the game and the judge makes preliminary rulings. It's not necessarily going to be the ruling on the case. On the piece of evidence, but a preliminary uh, ruling. So you're preparing for your liminees. A lot of times courts will require the, the size to exchange objections uh, on exhibits and depositions and stuff like that. Idea of pretrial overall being the judge, particularly judge wants all trials to go smoothly, but particularly a jury trial judge is wanting the case to sort of go smoothly. So there's not bickering and fighting and procedural stuff before a jury, because then it really makes it confusing in the case drag. So you got your prep for your pretrial. You've got your prep for your voir dire and your jury selection, which we talked about last time, which is a whole art form in and of itself. And then you got to prep for your trial, just like any other trial. You got to get your witnesses lined up. You've got to have your client prepared. Obviously, experts ready to go. Make sure you're super tight on your experts, particularly in front of a jury, always, but particularly in front of a jury. 
and you're preparing for a trial. Now, the nice thing is, I will say, and we'll sort of talk about this later on in the episode, how, how nervous some lawyers get when it comes to jury trials and overwhelmed and a lot just straight won't do them because they're, they're so intimidated by them. But, you know, once you get through pre-trial and once you get through voir dire, it really looks a lot like any other trial. It's going to go probably smoother because you've done a lot of extra work leading up to it, but it looks like any other trial with obviously some nuances here and there. And then at the end, charging a jury, which is some nuance, and then you're closing to the jury, not to the judge. So there's, there's some stuff added, but as far as the actual presentation of the case, it should look a lot like a bench trial. So once you get to that point, it's just like any other trial. But you got 12 people, or in county court, six people, and then maybe an alternate here and there, Watching you as opposed to just a judge who maybe you're used to being in front of a judge. Uh, maybe you've tried hundreds of cases in front of the judge that you're in front of. And so you're familiar with her. And then now so you're trying a case in front of 12 strangers that you've never met before. Now, your client hasn't met either one. But, Brian, when it comes to sort of preparing your client for the actual trial part, right? We talked last time that we involve the client in the Boydara process. We obviously keep them informed about the pretrial process although that's mostly lawyer work, actual testifying in front of a jury, what kind of, do you have tips that are sort of above and beyond just your typical trial, Brian, whenever you have a jury? Yeah, I think a couple of things. First is that motions and limine that you talked about, which is a confusing concept, so that they need to kind of be prepared, even if there's a, in theory, that means the lawyer shouldn't ask a particular kind of question, but sometimes they get through or sometimes there's a gray area and you just kind of need to tell them not to get into that area unless the judge is sort of approved testifying about it. And and that's usually a pretty limited number of things. Everybody kind of knows what the issues are, are going to be. So there's definitely that. I mean, you always tell your client to, you know, be aware of the judges watching you in a, in a bench trial. But now you have, like you said, 12 people plus the judge watching you. So I think it's important, you know, for them to talk to your clients about something as simple as what to wear. I had a client this week show up to court in shorts, despite being told not to do that. And fortunately, we reached an agreement in the hallway. Otherwise, wouldn't have been any testimony from him in court, but also just how to interact with the lawyers, how to interact with the person on the other side of the case. I think all of those things are important because jurors are only supposed to listen to the evidence, right? Same thing with judges, but we're all humans. We watch people and we make conclusions on the way they act, the way they are dressed, the way they behave, all of those kind of things. So certainly get into that. And it's a bit more of a slog too, I'd say that, where jury trusts tend to take longer, at least a day longer, but potentially several days longer. And so it's a lot of time in court and you just kind of need to pace yourself a little bit, I guess is another thing I'd say. Yeah, it can be grueling. I kind of, when I talk to clients, it's like everything that you typically do just in a regular trial, it's almost like amplified. You know, anytime we go to trial, of course, you're reminding clients like don't scowl, don't make faces, don't scoff, like all this stuff. Multiply that times 10 in front of a jury, right? You never know what, it could just be one person, right? Because by the way, only one person has to catch it. Because if, if you scoff or you roll your eyes or something like that, maybe 11 out of the 12 jurors missed it, but one's going to catch it. And then whenever they're back delivering, that one's going to tell the other 11, you know, what he or she saw. So it's amplified. I mean, I remember, we'll talk about experience in just a second and experience of trying jury trials. But I mean, I still have nightmares to this day, but I remember my first jury trial. And I tell this to my clients when preparing them. I was a younger lawyer and it was the first jury trial I had. And I tried it solo for the first time. I'd never tried a jury trial, period. And I tried this jury trial solo and, you know, spoiler alert at the end, we won. So that was good. But 
When I remember trying it, there are several mistakes I think I made throughout the trial in my presentation. And one of the biggest mistakes I made is when the other side's lawyer was closing, I thought what he was arguing was ridiculous, which it was. And the jury ultimately saw that, that it was ridiculous, and they sided with our client. But while the other lawyer was talking, I had, at least on several occasions, sort of scoffed or maybe not explicitly rolled my eyes, but kind of made motions and, you know, just rude. It was rude. And it was kind of a younger lawyer mistake. And again, like I said, we won the case 10-2. We should have 12-0 that one. It was 10-2, so we won. But I do remember one of the most important things that you do at the end of a jury is talk to the jurors at the end of it. Win-lose, you talk to the jurors if the judge gives you the opportunity. And there was a couple of jurors that came up to me afterwards and just chewed me out for that. And good for them because it was horrifying in the moment to get chewed out by total strangers. And it's a lesson that I've always, always taken. And I tell my clients that. Tell that story to sort of emphasize like how important your behavior is in front of a jury. Because, and who knows, maybe those chewed me out with the two that voted against me or against my client. But you don't want to be the center of attention. You want the evidence to be the center of attention in a jury trial. So, and that goes out, I guess, last thing I'll say, then we'll talk about experience. That goes out. So it's different, too, is it goes outside the courtroom, too. With a bench trial in front of a judge, typically the judge is back in her office on breaks or, you know, she's eating lunch in her office or going to a meeting. You got to remind clients from the moment you park your car and you're walking to the courthouse, you could have a juror walking behind you or looking at you through the window or just overhear you because they're down the hall. You have to be careful what you say and how you behave because somebody could always be listening. So that's, that's just reminders. So that's the level of detail we got to go into all the way from, hey, don't wear shorts to, hey, be careful while you walk down the sidewalk because if you're some rude jerk that's screaming at an house person on your way to the courthouse and you're just a total jerk, you never know who's going to be watching. So we go through all of that. And a lot of that just comes, knowing what to talk about comes through experience. So now let's talk about that, Brian. Like how, thinking about now, I'm reliving the trauma, the first jury trial I tried to myself, making all those mistakes without experience. I don't think that's, maybe I was being a bad lawyer that moment, but I don't think I was a bad lawyer. I was inexperienced. I mean, didn't know what I was doing for the first one. So how important is it, Brian, do you think to actually having done these when trying one? I think very important. You don't want your lawyer learning things on your dime in your case that's you know, got custody of your children or some large financial issue really at stake. And there's no substitute for doing it multiple times, doing multiple reps. You know, for example, you had your first story. Mine was actually on the state of Texas's dime as I was court appointed for a CPS termination. And I'm in mean, dime is probably the accurate description of the what they were paying me. It was an eye-opening experience from top to bottom. Luckily, I had such a horrible client and set of facts that there was no way I could do any worse than we expected to do. And But every time I've been, I still learn, you know, one or two additional things. And, you know, every jury is different, obviously, because group to a different group of people, you're generally in front of a different judge each time, or at least you don't go very frequently in front of the same judge. And so those are going to be variables that you're going to have to deal with. And the last thing you want is somebody learning, like, how do I pick a jury or, you know, wait, what's a motion in limine or any of those type of things? Yeah. I mean, it just, it's for everybody, right? I mean, the, the judges, it's, you know, we have great judges, I think, throughout all the areas of the state that we practice. For a judge, he or she may not preside over a jury before. It's a different experience for the judge as well. I mean, one of Brian, you and I tried this together, this one together. I won't say the county and obviously I won't say the judge, but we, you know, one, one of my prouder moments kind of later on in my career was 
we tried a jury in front of, in front of a judge who's a relatively new judge. I haven't been elected and you know, the other side hadn't tried a bunch of jury trials. And when we got towards the end and we were talking about charging the jury, which is the process where the judge actually gives them their instructions and reads them the questions that they're going to be asked. You know, we were going through, our, I think we were in our informal charge conference. Maybe it was our formal charge conference, but at least on several co- times during the conference, the judge looked over to us and goes, and this is what I do next, right? Yep. That's what you do next. And then I, Give them the charge right, right. And then I, yep, that's how you do it, Judge. And she was very gracious that she didn't know. I just was, I think she knew. She was just kind of double checking because it was my one of her first or second one presiding over. And, you know, we try them multiple times. And so that was a, a great deal of, of pride in that case. And, and that one actually ended up well for our client as well, uh, really, because of the facts and, of course, preparation and really good job for her. But, yeah, experience, they're just a different animal. I think that sort of bleeds into, and we talk about this a lot in other podcasts, why, you know, frankly, a lot of lawyers don't like trying jury trials. And, you know, I think we've sort of talked about the other episodes, how sometimes it can strategically enhance your case. If the other side's not experienced with jury trials or not comfortable with them because they'll do them a lot, making a jury demand that a case can have a strategic advantage above and beyond just thinking that maybe a jury is going to give a better shake to this case than a judge would or the, the judge that you have would. There's a strategy behind thinking about the other side's experience with jury trials. So what have you seen over the years, Brian, as far as lawyers who, who, who don't have the experience when that jury demand comes rolling in? What type of reactions do you, do you see that causing? Yeah, I see that. I see, you know, fear. What was formerly confidence of, oh, we're going to win this to maybe not so much. And I think what happens a lot of the times is that when you make that demand saying we're, we're ready for a jury, we want a jury and we know we're ready for it, then I actually think that greatly increases your leverage. And most of those cases ultimately settle. I mean, out of the ones we make jury demands for, I'm sure that the settlement rate is still, I don't know if it's two thirds or three fourths, still ultimately settle. But that's a really great additional bit of leverage to have in your back pocket and just to have the other lawyer on the other side, either either clearly or just in their own mind saying, I really, really don't want to do this um, is valuable. And of course, you know, as we've talked about, it increases the cost to both sides. And so, you know, if you're the one with the client who's willing and able to to pay for that and nobody wants to pay a lawyer, right, and nobody wants to pay for a jury trial, but if they're the one more willing to to go through it to get what they want for their children or, or whatever the issue is going to be, that's also an important bit of leverage on the other other party, not only the attorney. So I think it's, a, it's often a valuable piece of leverage. I don't like to bluff. I mean, I don't file those things unless we intend to go forward with it, but it's very helpful, I think. Yeah, I think it's an important discussion you have. And yeah, that line, the bluff, I think us more than, frankly, I think more than any other firm, but definitely up there, you are willing to try a jury trial and make the demand. And then on the flip side, we're not that firm. Some lawyers I see make a jury demand in every single case, right? Every single case, the original answer is filed and there's a jury demand. The petition, there's a jury demand. And there's not like a strategic discussion behind it when they make that demand. And it's a couple of problems with that. One, I think you lose, you lose the, I guess, intimidation for lack of a better word. If you're always making a jury demand, you know, whatever the case, then, you know, at a certain point you start getting eye rolls when you do that. But it also, because it increases the fees, you know, a judge is going to look at it at the end. If you made a jury demand just unstrategically, just to run up costs or just to be difficult or whatever, and there's not a strategic reason behind it, then that could come and be factored into assessing attorney's fees at the end. So it's a discussion that we have internally in the firm in every single case. One of the requirements 
of our associate attorneys, for example, within a certain amount of time period outside of trial. Obviously, 30 days is your minimum, but we have the discussion even before then. Have the discussion of are we going to do a jury trial in this case or not? That needs to happen. And that doesn't just happen internally. It needs to be a discussion that has that has to happen with a client. I'm always amazed at how so many lawyers don't even give their client the option. And I think probably because they don't want to try like their worst nightmares that they give the option to the client. They go, well, that sounds great. Let's do that. And so I think some lawyers don't even talk about about the jury option. And, you know, it's a constitutional right that you have. It's in the Texas Constitution that you have a right. And the family code sets forth what issues, but you have a constitutional right to a jury. And the fact that some lawyers don't even discuss that, you know, clients don't know that, right? They don't teach you in Texas history. Maybe they do. Not all of us took Texas history, though, that you have a constitutional right to a jury trial. And so, you know, the clients need to be told that so they can be part of the decision. This one's actually interesting because we talked about it a little bit. We were going to talk about Do's and don'ts of jury trials. I can list lots of don'ts, but Brian, what's kind of comes to your mind for do's and don'ts of jury trials, if anything pops out at you? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think we have talked about a number of them of, you know, get an experienced attorney who knows what they're doing. Know what you're getting into as a client. Be prepared and listen to your lawyer. Obviously, it's your decision, right? I mean, if we recommend, you know, something, you you know, it's ultimately the client's decision. And uh, we just, we give them the choices and they do what they want to. But, you know, I think those are all important things. And then, you know, realize that there, if you go to trial, it is, you're putting, a decision that you might be able to make with your spouse or the other parent in the hands of 12 people who you've never met. And again, I've generally found those decisions to be very good, probably better than judge decisions on on average. But your case isn't an average, right? It's your particular case. And those are the things that you should, I think, really consider. That applies a lot of litigation, but probably even more so to a jury trial. Uh, what about your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think the, the don't, because I was thinking about this when I read the question, don't think that a jury trial is not a scientific process, that there's not a strategy behind it. I deal with so many lawyers, and I think they try to be cocky about it, or they don't have the experience and say, I'll try my case to the first 12 people on the panel because that's how strong it is. Or I'll, you know, this, this case is slam dunk. So I don't, I'm not worried about jury whatsoever. There's a lot of preparation that goes into a jury trial. There's a lot of strategy that goes into a jury trial that's just above and beyond a bench trial. And if you have a lawyer that's scoffing it off or saying it's no big deal or, you know, nobody can see it the other side's way or, or there's no way we can lose this. Anytime you have overconfidence like that. Coming from your lawyer, you should be nervous, but particularly with a jury trial. If somebody's coming in and acting like this experience doesn't matter or anybody can do this or it's, then that's somebody that doesn't know what they're doing. And as far as the do's, it's just, you know, do be willing to do it, right? Do to pull that trigger and go to a jury trial and do make sure that you're prepared. Cause it goes back to what we said earlier, you know, miss everything you do in front of a jury is just, just like a bench trial in a lot of ways. But it's amplified and lack of you want to amplified. Have a lawyer who is not prepared for a trial. Like maybe you can kind of soft you around it with a judge and a bench trial. You want to really put a spotlight on not being prepared, do it in front of 12 people and not have your exhibits pre-marked or not thought about your objections or your presentation of evidence. Don't have your witnesses lined up. Don't have your experts squared away. Doing that in front of 12 people or six people in front of county court, it's going to amplify it. So, so always make sure you're prepared. 
And then I guess last one is kind of how we want to talk about wrapping up this series. Brian was talking about the expense of it, which I'll let you talk about because you mentioned it some, but I mean, we really do want people to understand that this is a, it is a financial commitment to go into a jury trial. And we try to, like all our cases, we try to be really open and honest about finances with our clients. Nobody, don't hire a lawyer who bait and switches you or won't have the honest conversation about how Really incredibly expensive this can be, unfortunately, but sort of making that dive into the trial, Brian, because we're not just talking about a one day bench trial. We're talking about a jury trial. What, what are you talking about with your clients and when are you having a conversation with clients when it comes to the expense of a jury trial? I think you need to have that discussion before you choose to go down the jury trial path or if it's been chosen by you, if the other side's made a jury demand first, then that's you need to probably have that discussion right up front. I mean, it's what anybody would want to know about, right, which is OK. Let's say we're proposing, not even proposing, we're giving the option of a jury trial. The two obvious questions are, well, you know, what's what are the pros and cons of it for my case success? And the second one is, what is how is that going to affect the cost? I guess there's a third issue, which is the timeline. It typically take a little longer to get to a jury trial. So if a person's in a hurry to get to a trial, you know, through this process, that might not be the best choice. But if they do, I mean, it probably doubles the cost of an average trial. I, I think that's going to vary. And because of not only is it going to be longer, and it's kind of a funny algorithm, I think, or calculation for that, I, I'd say it adds at least a day to any trial. So if it's a one day bench trial, it's going to probably be two days with the jury. But it's even a little more than that. I'd say, you know, like a four day bench trial is probably a six day jury trial because you just, just the overall, everything's just slower. A tried one back in May and, you know, every morning some juror would be 10 or 15 minutes late, you know, their kid was sick or they got stuck in traffic or one of them had a car accident on the way to, you know, there's just, you know, there's just some, always some delay. Same thing with lunch. Somebody would always be five or 10 minutes late getting back for lunch or whatever. Just everything goes more slowly. So that makes things more expensive, right? Because us lawyers are sitting in the courtroom and, you know, while this kind of slow process still goes on, but there's also that additional preparation that we talked about earlier. So, you know, where it varies so wildly, it's it's hard to give exact numbers, but let's say you had a, a three-day bench trial versus what maybe would be a five-day jury trial, you know, for the preparation of that, that's uh, dealing with the discovery, all of the other things on a three-day bench trial might be $50,000, let's say. I mean, it could be between, you know, it could be less than that, it could be more, but let's let's say that that's a, a rough estimate of it. But it's probably, you know, instead of 50, it's probably 75 or 80 to do the jury trial for the exact same set of facts. That's per side. So, you know, again, that goes into the question of can someone afford it? You know, is one side more than the other more willing to pay that to go that route, et cetera. But it, those are large numbers. And it's like I'd say with any litigation, you know, don't do these things. Don't go down those paths if there's a, a reasonable settlement to be had. But sometimes there isn't. That's what the juries and judges are for. Well, and that's why we had the conversation, right? It's like just the worst thing you can do is. And we talked about this in another episode, 30 days out from trial and, you know, you're the client and you're all geared up and your client, your lawyer goes, oh, by the way, did I mention that in a week you owe me $50,000 or I'm going to withdraw or move your case or whatever? Let's have the conversation as painful as it can be. So, I mean, but overall, wrapping the series, I mean, we've just sort of scratched the surface. There's so much more. I mean, as you can tell, we're both sort of fascinated with the topic of, of jury trials and, and we could 
talk your ears off more, but we'll sort of leave it at that. I'm going to wrap that up for our jury trial series. So thanks everyone for tuning into this series. And of course, as always, if you're interested in speaking to one of us about your family law matter, you can visit us at waltersgilbreth.com. You can email us at podcast at waltersgilbreth.com. You can call the office. You can find us online. We love hearing from y'all. So for now, that'll wrap up our series and thanks for listening. For information about the topics covered in today's episode and more, you can visit our website at waltersgilbreth.com. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of For Better, Worse, or Divorce, where we post new episodes every first and third Wednesday. Do you have a topic you want discussed or a question for our hosts? Email us at podcast at waltersgilbreth.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time.